Take your Bibles and turn to Luke, Luke chapter number 2. Of course we're going to get to Luke chapter 2 at some point during our Christmas sermon series entitled Prepare Him Room. Prepare Him Room. And what are we doing in this series? We're looking at some of the characters that might get overlooked in the Christmas story. We know that most of the time the characters that get the main focus are, of course, Jesus himself. He is the central figure, of course, and we look at him every time we open God's Word. And then, of course, Mary and um, some of the main characters there, the angels for sure. Uh, But during the series, we're looking at some of those characters that tend to get pushed to the backside and want to see what lessons they have for us. And so uh, we're looking at people that were involved in the Christmas story, and we see how they had to make a decision on making room for what Christmas was truly all about. And so uh, we just talked about last week, kind of the overall thought for this series is that we make room for what we make room for in, our Chris, in this Christmas season will reveal how we define and value this season. And so what is Christmas all about? Is it about what the world has made it? Is it about materialism and buying stuff because we think somehow stuff will fill the void? Um, of, of course not. Uh, stuff can never do that. Being just busy in, the, in this season will, will, will never take the place of spending time with the Lord and and making time for Him. And so last week we challenged ourselves in our study of Joseph from God's Word. We talked about how Joseph teaches us that God can take the devastating things in our life and use those things to bring us to our destination. And so we looked at how Joseph got that devastating news that Mary was pregnant. And at that time he had not had the revelation from the angel yet that this was all a part of God's plan, that Mary had remained pure and true to her faith. Um, And so Joseph was going through those moments where, you know, what does he do? And we just learned a lot of valuable lessons last week in the story of Joseph on how we can make room for obedience in our life and obey the Lord, even when it doesn't make sense, and to truly trust the heart of our God, because obedience really comes from a deep-rooted belief that God is good. Because if God's good, I can trust him that he has my best interest at heart. And so when he tells me to obey him, I can do that, right? And so that's what we looked at with the story of Joseph. This week, we look at the story of the shepherds here in Luke chapter number 2. And we see, uh, we see what they uh, teach us here in Luke chapter number 2. So before we read that, let me ask you a question about good news. Do you keep good news a secret? I mean, come on. It's hard to keep good news a secret. Sooner or later... Good news gets out. We all know this when someone gets engaged or when someone is expectant with child. You might keep it under wraps for a month or two, but sooner or later it gets out, right? Good news gets out and we share that with other people. Why? Because good news is meant to be shared. There's just something that naturally happens when we hear or see something incredible and wonderful. We want to share it with someone else. This last month on the sabbatical and vacation that I was on, I enjoyed so many aspects of that. Of course, the first 10 days I was with my family and we were sharing all the things that we were seeing, seeing Niagara Falls and all the things there in the Northeast with the, with the fall colors. And then I went out to California and I was alone for nine days. And let me just tell you, that was good, but it was also only good for 48 hours. I think I'm a loner, but I don't think so. Uh, Not not after that, because after 48 hours, I was was ready to be around people and not just the scorpions traveling through the desert. Um, 
And so I was really looking forward to when my wife would come out at the end so that we could go to Yosemite National Park and see all of those incredible sights and share those things together. Um, it wouldn't have been nearly as enjoyable if I'd gone, gone through Yosemite National Park by myself. And pictures, yeah, even with 4K and, and 32 megapixel cameras, they still don't do justice to what your eye can see, right? And so we see that there's something in us that needs to share when we experience good news, when we experience um, a wonder and incredible truth. And so today's study looks at a group of individuals that God chose to be the first invitees to welcome Jesus into this world. They were the first ones to arrive on the scene after Jesus entered into human history in the flesh. And what we're going to be inspired and challenged by today is their response and also see how God is no respecter of persons. Are, are you thankful for that? That the gospel is for all people today? It's not just for a select group. It's not just for those who have a certain level of intelligence or a certain level of income. No, the gospel is for all people at all times in all nations his grace is extended to all and the invitation is given to all to receive his son to behold that baby laying lying in the manger this christmas season may we share this sign that god has already given to us in the gift of his son and the manifestation of his amazing grace to everyone who will listen so with that let's read the christmas story over in the book of luke luke chapter number two I'm sure many of you will read this on Christmas Eve before you go to bed. I would challenge you to do that as a family this year. It would be wonderful. Make that a tradition. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. The Bible says this. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. I love how the old English puts it. They were, they were terrified. They were really, really scared, all right? They were, yeah, this was, they were absolutely terror-stricken, which is interesting. You know, they, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, ha had something happen to where you're just absolutely frightened in a moment. And we know some people in this room are more easily frightened than others, okay? But, but these shepherds were just absolutely frightened at what they saw. Fascinating. Verse 10, and the angel said unto them, fear not. So while man gets frightened, and if you study the Old Testament, you get this idea that we're supposed to cower away from God. And certainly Adam and Eve did. They, they ran and hid themselves in the bushes, but God pursued them. God didn't run for them. They, they, they ran from God. And so man in his sinfulness fears when he sees something so incredibly pure, so incredibly wonderful. But the angel starts to give them an idea of what this gospel is all about. It's the gospel of good tidings, of great joy, of peace. He says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. 
And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. This morning, as we look at this Christmas story, I want us to just answer two major questions. The first one's kind of introductory, giving us an idea of who these shepherds might have been. How many of you have heard me preach on the shepherds before and why God appeared to the shepherds and what the implications might mean? I know you've slept since then. That was a few years ago. But I'll re- rehearse some of those uh, interesting clues as to why God would appear to shepherds first. Makes sense if you really think about it. And then we'll look really deep into uh, what these shepherds teach us. What are some lessons that we can glean from their response and how they publish the news abroad? So number one, the first truth we look at here today as we study this text is who were these shepherds? Who were these shepherds? Look back at verse 8. It says, and there were in the same country. So, and, and how the text here mentions it is that uh, Mary had just given birth uh, there was no room in the inn, and, and sometimes when we read the story, we assume that um, uh, God had to quickly come up with a plan B because there was no room in the inn. Um, and so we think that Jesus was uh, birthed in, in kind of the uh, donkey stable of the inn, but the text doesn't say that. We assume that, but the text doesn't actually say that. And so it says they're in the same country, so, so near there. It, it it wasn't across the, the, the world. It was right there, you know, a hop, skip, and a jump across the creek, so to speak. Um, they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. What were these shepherds doing? They were doing what shepherds do. They were keeping an eye on their livestock. They were keeping an eye on these sheep. Um, and shepherds typically were what you would call the average Joe of society. You know, they had they didn't have one of the religious positions in the nation of Israel. That would have been the 1% of that day. If, if you were a religious teacher or leader, you were also connected to the money. And so those were the elites of that day. Uh, shepherds certainly weren't on, on the high end of society. They were what you'd call your average Joe worker in, in their society. This is probably a job that they inherited from their father and their father's father. And so typically that's how jobs worked back then. You, you would inherit what your father had done. And even to this day, sometimes people still do that. Um, and so probably these shepherds didn't really see their job as all that significant. Although perhaps these shepherds were um, involved in raising a certain kind of sheep. This is interesting. If you do the research and dig into this, you'll find out that Bethlehem was only about four miles from Jerusalem. And what happened in Jerusalem? Hundreds of lambs would be sacrificed every year for temple sacrifices because they were still under the old covenant. And under the old covenant, a sacrifice for sin had to be make, uh, made uh, at least once a year on the Day of Atonement. And so if you do the math and you figure this out, over seven to 800 sheep or lambs would be needed every year because you would do a daily sacrifice at the morning and the evening. And so perhaps these shepherds, we don't know for sure, but perhaps these shepherds were a lot more important to God's plan than they even realized. Isn't it true that sometimes we diminish our influence? Uh, can I just be honest? I'm, I'm, I'm going to actually share this later, so I'll, so I'll hold off on that. But just think about that. Sometimes we think that our task is less important than it really is. 
And so I would submit that God perhaps appeared to these shepherds first because there was a lamb that was being born in a specific spot just a little ways away from them who would be the lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. And so we know that in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, there's a wonderful prophecy about where Jesus would be born. It says, but thou Bethlehem Ephratah. And that's important because there were actually three Bethlehems during the Bible times. And, and Ephratah was a very specific place. It was the place where Rachel had her son Benjamin. Bethlehem Ephratah. And Benjamin was named Benjamin. And, and uh, actually, he, he was first named Benoni, meaning son of my sorrow, because Rachel died there. But then Benjamin, son of my right hand. And now Jesus is being born in Bethlehem. And here's the prophecy. Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth. And this would give you the idea that this wasn't just a human being Messiah. You see, the, the Jewish religious leaders should have caught this. In fact, when the scribes and Pharisees quoted Micah 5.2 to the wise men, they left out this final little part. Whose goings forth had been from of old... From everlasting. And so there's the prophecy that Jesus would be born in this place called Bethlehem Ephrata, which is specifically about four miles outside of Jerusalem. And it's a very specific spot. And then there's another, I mean, this is a wonderful prophecy in Micah 5 2, but there's another prophecy in Micah 4 8 that's about the Messiah coming to earth. And look at this it says, and this is the one that gets missed, and thou, O tower of the flock, Literally in the Hebrew, Magdole Dare, watchtower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion. The kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Not only does God say that Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem, Ephrata, and of course we know that Joseph and Mary had to go back to Bethlehem because that's where Joseph was originally from and they were being taxed, but this actually is a GPS location. There is a spot that they have discovered on the outskirts of Bethlehem called Magdala Dare. Uh, It's actually an old watchtower where it was actually used primarily back in those Bible times for military purposes, but it was also secondarily used as a watchtower for the flocks. And specifically, why would shepherds want to keep that good of an eye on those sheep? Because those lambs were being raised for temple sacrifice. And just another little detail, do you know what they would do to make sure that when these little lambs were born that they didn't hurt themselves because you could not offer a lamb that was crippled, disabled, had any spot or blemish. So the moment that these little lambs were born, can you imagine a little baby lamb being born? They're starting to thrash about. They could hurt themselves. So you know what these shepherds would do when they would birth these temple lambs? They would wrap them in swaddling clothes and lay them in a little stone bed they called a manger. And so... These temple lambs were actually birthed in the basement or the bottom of this watchtower of the flock. So again, just some interesting details to scratch our heads and ask ourselves the question, why would God show up to shepherds first? So who were these shepherds? We know that they were doing what God had called them to do. We can maybe guess, and again, we can't be definitive on this, but just some things to think about. Perhaps they saw their task as insignificant, But God saw it as a lot more significant, and this is why he appeared to them first. Of course, we'll keep studying here. So who were these shepherds? Number one, we we see what they were doing here in the outskirts of Bethlehem, potentially watching over these flawless sheep, raising them for temple sacrifice. Number two, then, what do these shepherds teach us? What do they teach us? 
I think the overall theme here in this story that you see surrounding these shepherds is this. God often chooses to use the least likely to do the most important. Imagine the, the task of being the first people to go see Jesus and then going and telling everybody about it. God often chooses to use the least likely to do the most significant. It's been that way throughout God's economy in human history. He starts with a little shepherd boy um, in Israel who would take down a mighty giant. I'm sure the youngest of Jesse's sons, David, thought, what's my role? In fact, he was a shepherd too. Uh, God, God has had often encounters with, with shepherds in the past. Um, actually, one of the first encounters with a shepherd in the past that God had was with Moses. Exodus 3 verse 1, it says that Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. And so um, God had appeared to Moses. Moses was a shepherd. And then I just mentioned God, God appeared to David. David was a shepherd. 1 Samuel 16, 11. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, Well, there's this one that's left, the youngest. You know, typically in that culture, it would be the eldest that would be the one that would be primary. But here's the least likely. Do you hear that even in the text? And behold, he, he's, he's keeping my sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send forth and fetch him, for we will not sit down until he comes hither. So God often chooses the least likely to do the most significant. And even with God himself, he's known as the good shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for sheep. But here's the problem. Jesus didn't come in a grand and glorious way. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born at Magdala Dare in the watchtower of the flock. And that wasn't grand and glorious. It was around animals. It was around livestock. It, was, it wasn't... You know, God didn't make a grand appearance like that. And so God often chooses the least likely to make the most, to do the most significant. And so as we look at these verses, we've read verse 8. We see that the shepherds here were keeping watch over their flock by night. And uh, just the first lesson I think that uh, we can glean from this and, and write this down in your notes. No matter who you are or what you do, you are significant to God. No matter who you are. Or what you might do for a living, you are significant to God. Um, have you ever been there? Have you ever been struggling with feeling like you're significant to this world and to other people? Um, God chooses shepherds and invites them. I mean, I just can't get over that this week. God chose shepherds and invited them to one of the greatest moments in human history. You know what Satan's lie to all of us is? And he's not going to like this this morning. His lie is that he tells us we're insignificant. He tells us we don't make a difference. Um, you know, all of us go through that. Pastors included. I shared a thought with y'all this week on Facebook. Uh, I did like a little video thing. And we studied Gideon on um, on Wednesday night here in our uh, midweek prayer meeting. And you know, Gideon probably struggled with the same thing. He, he saw himself as insignificant to God. In fact, he was kind of scared about the whole situation with the Midianites. And, and um, I shared on the video this week that, you know, pastors struggle with that so much. Lord, I, I don't feel significant. I don't feel like I'm doing the, I don't feel like I'm being as effective as I could be. I don't feel like I'm making a difference. 
And sometimes we get kind of low in that ditch. You know what I'm talking about? We get discouraged and we get depressed. And Satan loves for us to be there because he's trying to minimize our significance to God. But here's the truth. You are so significant that Christ shed his precious, priceless, sinless, pure blood for you. That's how significant you and I are to God. Every soul is valuable to God and every soul is important in God's plan. And so these shepherds, no matter what, who they were, no, no, no matter what pedigree, what tribe they came from, no matter what they were doing in that moment, we see here in this story that they were significant to the Christmas story that we're reading 2,000 years later. And so Satan's lie to humanity is that we're insignificant, we're expendable, we're just another number of the billions of people on planet Earth. And here's the problem, if you believe that lie long enough... It leads you to make all kinds of destructive decisions that he further then uses to accuse you, defeat you, and ultimately he wants to destroy you. So many people have allowed this lie that they're insignificant and that they're worthless to send them into a depth to where they think the only way out is taking their own life. And my friend, if you're here this morning and you've been struggling with that depth of depression, Please do not any longer listen to Satan's lies. He is a liar from the beginning. He is the enemy of your life. He is the enemy of God, but God is greater. And he says no matter who you are or what, you've, or, or what you're currently doing as a profession, right? God sees you as significant. He sees you as being a part of his plan. And so think about this. If God invited shepherds to behold his son then he invites you and me as well. Look at verses 9 and 10. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were terrified, of course. The angel says unto them, Do not fear, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. I love that because I thought, um, how many of y'all have ever uh, had somebody call you up and say, we need to talk? And you're like, <gasps> you know, maybe it's the boss. You know, maybe, maybe here at the end of the year, you know, Time for the yearly reviews. The boss calls you in and he says, we need to talk. And you're like, oh no, I'm on the chopping block. And so you're dreading it. And so you walk in on that day for the review and you're getting a raise and a bonus. It goes from being sore afraid to good news. So I, I just thought about that as I read this because the shepherds were afraid. They're like, uh-oh, heaven has broken forth. God is about to speak and we are in trouble. And the angel's like, no, this is actually good news of great joy. So we see that the angel here invites the shepherd. He says, behold, come see. You're significant to God. He values us infinitely. If anyone matters, then we all matter. The whole world matters to God. Good tidings for all people. So no matter who you are, no matter what you do as a profession in life, you are significant to God. I think the second truth we see here is found in verses 11 and 12. It says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, and this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And I've shared with you in the past that why would the angel say that? 
unless these were temple shepherds raising sacrificial lambs because that's all the information they were given. And the text seems to indicate, again, we're, we're inferring here, so we have to be careful. It doesn't say this directly, but it doesn't give the indication that they had to search for a long time. You know, they didn't go to 10 different stables and say, all right, baby, no, no they, this seemed like to be very near where they were currently at. And they would know that there would be only one place where you'd find swaddling clothes and a manger in Bethlehem Ephrata. And this was the sign. And so it says they came with haste over there in verse 16. So we get the evidence here from the text that this was very close and they knew where to go. Notice that the angel says, this shall be a sign unto you. I have a question. Are you looking for a sign from God? How many of us have ever asked God for a sign? It's okay to be honest. <laughs> I have multiple times. I've been like Gideon, done the whole fleece test. Um, we've all asked God for signs. Perhaps as, as a believer, you know, you're like, okay, God, should I take this job offer? It's going to uproot my family, and we're going to have to move across the country, and, and I was just getting settled. And, and, and so sometimes as, 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 as believers, we're searching for God's direction and his path in life, and so we ask God for a sign. Like, God, I'm struggling here. Uh, uh, show me a sign. Maybe, maybe, though, for others, you don't know Christ, and you're a skeptic here this morning, and you're like, if God would just show me a sign, I would believe. And so you've got kind of two kinds of ways that people search for signs. You, you have his children asking for a sign for reassurance. And then you have people who are not yet his children, although he wants them to be, who are like, all right, God, prove to me that you're there. Prove to me that you exist, and I'll believe. Show me a sign, God. We often find ourselves looking for signs from God. Can I challenge you? Here's the truth of what we learn here in Luke chapter 2, verse 12. Instead of waiting on a sign from God, I want to challenge us to make room for the sign that he's already given to us. How many signs does God give to us all around us that we don't have the eyes of faith to see? Think about it. The greatest sign ever given to humanity that God exists and that he loves them was that baby in a manger. And then that baby's life, he grew up 33 years. Then he died on a cross. Then he was buried. Then he rose again. And Jesus said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. What do you mean? He didn't mean that what he meant was is that a generation that's always asking for another sign, another sign. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were like, all right, all right, yeah, you rose Lazarus from the dead, but still show us another sign that you're God. We still won't believe. And he said, you'll only be given the sign of the prophet Jonah, which was an allusion to his resurrection. And you know what? They still didn't see it. Which tells me that you can have all the signs in the world but if your heart isn't open to receiving the sign, you'll never see it. Perhaps what we need to do is stop asking God to give us another sign and start asking this, God, open my eyes to the signs that are already in front of me, that you exist, that you love me, that you're leading me, that you're taking care of me. I guarantee if you start praying that prayer, God will open your eyes. And you'll see those signs all around. Divine appointments, happen chance meetings throughout a week. All of a sudden, you'll see them through a new lens, the eyes of faith. 
Instead of waiting on a sign from God, perhaps we need to make room for the sign that he's already given us. He's given to us so many signs. He's given to us his wonderful creation. How can you not look at creation and say, there is God? He's given to us the sign of his word. What an incredible revelation that we have of his truth. He's given to us, of course, the sign of his son. He gives to us divine appointments and people in our life that are further signs pointing us to him. So see the signs that are already there. But we keep reading. It says here in verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. This birthday party turned into a celebration. What a beautiful chorus. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. This is the message of the gospel, that God wants peace with humanity, that he wants uh, men and women, boys and girls, to be brought to faith in him. He wants to show goodwill to them if they will only receive and when we don't receive, we reap the fruit of the own consequences of our sin, death and destruction and separation. Verse 15, And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, this is a good idea, let's get over there. Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste. I love this verse, and I love the one last week with Joseph. In both of these stories, it's like, boom, they knew what to do. As soon as that angel uh, told them, they were off. Oh, to have the response that they did. Um, and so they were off. They came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And here's the two verses I want you to notice. And when they had seen it, when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Who were the first evangelists? Who were the first evangelists? The shepherds. Shepherds who didn't have a seminary training. They hadn't been taught the Romans road. They didn't know any New Testament Bible verses. Maybe some of the Old Testament ones they did. They simply said, come see the king. What does this teach us in verses 17 and 18? When you meet Jesus, it should lead you to a place where you cannot stay silent anymore. Have we met Jesus? Have we grown silent? For 400 years, for 400 years, there was silence. God had been silent Kind of the big pause for the next step in his plan. And then that silence was broken by angels. And it continued to be broken by shepherds who said, come and see this king. When you and I meet Jesus, it should lead us to a place where we cannot stay silent anymore. And I think if we really believe that the news is that good, then we will not remain silent. As I said earlier, if you get good news, you're going to share it with somebody, right? I don't play the lottery, but if I won $100 million tomorrow, I might call a couple of y'all and say, hallelujah, you know? Who can we help? You know, what can we do now, you know? If I was diagnosed with cancer and all of a sudden I went to the doctor 
for my next visit, and he said, you are absolutely cancer-free. There is no more cancer there. You are now expected to live out a natural life expectancy. I'm going to call some people. I'm going to share that with people. So you might say, oh, Pastor, you're telling me to go out this, this, this Christmas season and give somebody a sermon. No, 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 no. I know that we struggle sometimes with the words. Pastors do too, by the way. Sometimes we, we remain silent when we should speak up. And so certainly these shepherds spoke up with their mouth. But I think in this culture especially, some of the things we have to do before we speak up with our mouth is we have to live it out with our lives first. Life and lips have to be connected. And so what I want to challenge you to do, I'm going to ask our ushers at this time, they've been given some instructions. They're going to hand down the rows these little cards. And here's the application for today. All of us in this room, I'm looking across, I don't see any first-time guests. If you are and I'm missing you, I'm so sorry. Um, but I believe all of us have made a personal testimony of Jesus Christ as our Savior. We've met Jesus, so may we not be silent. And here's the greatest way, I think, practically, we could put this into practice this week. You don't have to go out and preach the Christmas story sermon to somebody. You can take these cards. They're going to start handing them out. As soon as you get it, look at it. It says on the front of the card, something unexpected to show you that God loves you. Merry Christmas. On the back, there's a little bit of a writing. It says, the gift that you just received really did come with no strings attached. We pray that this random act of kindness at Christmas will point you to the greatest divine act of kindness ever shown to humanity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So, this week, perhaps God will place in your path a divine appointment. A total stranger, maybe somebody you know, but you're moved to buy that person a cup of coffee. Uh, help them change a flat tire. Rake their leaves that haven't been raked yet. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's just taking a neighbor, a plate of Christmas cookies, just finally connecting with that neighbor, Right? But if God lays someone on your heart this week or you're out and about and you have a divine appointment encounter with someone and the Spirit says, that person needs my love. I want to encourage you to do that random act of kindness as you give them this card. And then it invites them to our Christmas Eve service on December the 24th at 5 p.m. And then if the Lord opens up a door for you to share more, do it. Take that open door. But what if everybody in this room just did one act of kindness this week intentionally, tying it to the gospel, to the story of Christmas? What if we all did that? What would God do? So I want to encourage you, do that. And then this week in our Facebook group, if you would share those stories. It doesn't have to be long to share how you were able to do that. We're not bragging, oh, look at me, I did it. We're doing this, we're sharing them to encourage others and to remind us, oh yeah, pastor gave us that card on Sunday. Oh yeah, oh that's so neat that uh, 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 so-and-so took that opportunity. I need to do that. I need to be looking for those opportunities. All right, Rebecca's playing Silent Night. And certainly that night when the shepherds had the silence broken, it was probably silent beforehand. But those shepherds received something so incredible that they couldn't keep their mouth closed afterwards. They published it abroad. Have we gone silent? If we really believe the news is that good, then we will not remain silent any longer.